the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Nine nine zero. The following program is sponsored. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. In the New Testament, it's give according to as the Lord has prospered you or according to your ability. I'm not going to give you a percentage, says God, but you're going to come up with that percentage in the light of my prospering you. Because that gift will be given in the light of God's generosity. And how can God's generosity not prompt our generosity? folks who like the rules spelled out, especially when it comes to giving. But the covenant of grace calls us to a more gracious way of giving, a more spontaneous way of giving back to God. That's our subject today on Know the Truth. Philip DeCourcy suggests we move past the rules to develop a lifestyle of generosity. It's not a view that's intended to make us uncomfortable, but one that should excite us to think about the possibilities of grace giving. Here's Philip continuing his message titled, Happy to Give. As we come back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul encourages the grace of giving. Giving that's free, not forced. Giving that's desired by us, not demanded from us. Because here, Paul extols the grace of giving. I want you to understand this, that the act of giving money to the church or finances to missions, the act of giving is always predicated by another act of giving. That's Paul's argument in verse 5. Look at chapter 8 and verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Paul's taking a step back. He's celebrating the fact that they give out of their poverty with joy liberally to the saints at Jerusalem. But he now takes a step back. You need to understand that before they gave themselves to us, and before they give a collection to the saints, they first give themselves to the Lord. And that's the secret of their giving. Grace giving is not only costly, it's consecrated. Grace giving is always the byproduct of a consecrated life given in full surrender to Jesus Christ. They first give themselves to the Lord. It would be Romans 12, 1 and 2. They presented their body as a living sacrifice. See, generous giving is always the outworking of a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a life that has surrendered to Jesus Christ all that they are and all that they have. And when you're surrendered in that manner, spontaneous sacrificial giving is easy. It's not a fight. It's not a debate. Because if you've first given yourself to the Lord and everything you have is His, then you'll give what is His to those He asked you to give to. So let's move on. Grace giving is complete. It's a promise made 
and it's a promise kept. That's one of the themes that comes out of Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9. As I said, we paint in the background about a year earlier, promises had been made, prompted by Paul or perhaps Titus's visit. A collection was to be taken to relieve the emergency and stress on the poor believers in Jerusalem and Judea. And so a year earlier, they had indicated that it was their intention to indeed jump in both feet and help the saints out. And now Paul writes and says, hey, we need to complete this. We need to do what we said we would do. Look at verse 6 of chapter 8. We urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Collection had been taken among the churches in Macedonia, and they gave liberally out of their poverty. Now Titus is with the Corinthians, and it's their opportunity to complete what was begun a year earlier. It's now time to give, to follow through on the good intention. You see that again elsewhere in the passage. Look at chapter 9 and verse 2, where he talks about how a year ago they were zealous and wishing and willing to give, and now it's time for that gift to be taken and to be carefully handled and brought to Jerusalem. Look at verse 5, especially of chapter 9. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that may be ready as a matter of generosity. Look at chapter 8 and verse 10 and 11. You'll see this word complete appear once again. It appears in verse 6. And then we read in verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That is the doing of what you promised a year ago. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of it. I know you were moved. I know that you desire. I know that's your intention. But now your good intentions have to become concrete actions and complete what you promised. Look, folks, it's a very simple thought, but we don't want to miss it. When it comes to giving, we've got to follow through on our intentions. When we're moved, when we're stirred, and it's all of God, and we know there's a need to be met, and we can meet that need because God has met our need abundantly, then follow through. You know what Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 5 warn us? When you make a vow to God, make sure you pay it. It's better not to vow, not to promise, and not follow through. So that's what we've got here. Actions need to speak louder than words. The collection's got to be taken, and the promise has got to be made and fulfilled. We've got to walk the talk, folks. We've got to do what we say when it comes to giving, because time will go by. Feelings will fade Resolve will collapse. Things will get in the way. And we will fail to fulfill our promises to God. Whether it's a pledge to church or a ministry or missions, good intentions achieve nothing by themselves. Here's another thought about grace giving. Grace giving is considered. It's thoughtful. It's reflected upon. Grace giving is considered. It's not just thorough and it's complete. It's thoughtful and it's considered. It's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's calculated. It's considered. It's planned. It's thought out. 
grace giving is not left to chance. It's not left to feelings. It's not left to circumstances. No, grace giving is the product of prayer and meditation and thought. Let me show you this. Look at chapter 9 and verse 7. As I said, we're skipping and jumping across this passage. Here's what Paul says. So let each one give as, notice these words, he purposes in his heart. The giving is purposeful. It's thoughtful. It's planned. It's thought out as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, let's go back to the passage that kind of launches these two passages back in the first letter in chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, parenthesis in Jerusalem, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Again, it sounds like a deliberate act, doesn't it? As the weekend approaches, you folks in Corinth, I want you to think about how much you're going to set aside and store up for the collection. So we see in both those verses this idea of premeditation and purpose. Premeditation and purpose. Not whim, not emotion, not the moment. Premeditation and purpose. In fact, this passage in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 is a kind of an echo of the Old Testament in the sense, if you study the Old Testament, the believer under the Old Covenant gave systematically and regularly because giving in the Old Testament was attached to holidays and festivals. While their Passover, you know, where they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt and the Exodus or the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Feast of First Fruits. At different times of the year, the Jewish believer went up with their tithes and offerings to God's house. It wasn't left a chance. There was a date, there was a day, and there was an amount. You went up to Jerusalem, and you celebrated with the nation. Now, we're going to see in a moment that tithing is not commanded in the New Testament. And there's kind of this decentralizing of faith in the New Testament where instead of God having a temple for His people, He has a people for His temple, and they're spread out all over the world. It's not located. It's not even confined to one nation. But it doesn't mean there's nothing systematic about the church. And I think even here, Paul's going, hey, you know what? The Jewish believer had a sad time where they gave, and they did it in the light of God's redemption and work in their life. I suggest on the first day of the week, Christians should set aside and a mind to support the gospel or relieve the saints. And they ought to do it. I'd say the first day of the week's the best day. Why? Because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. That will remind you of the gospel and the liberty that you have. In the light of God's grace and in the light of the liberty you have in Christ, you ought to give graciously and liberally to God's work. I'm just saying, folks, that grace giving is considered. It's thoughtful. It's planned. It's not left to whim. It's laid aside purposefully. That's why I'd say this to you. Don't wait to give until you're begged to do so. Don't wait to give until you've paid all your bills and you see what's left to give to the Lord. Don't wait to the end of the year to do all your giving because you generally will give less than you would if you give every week or every month. Don't wait until others give and they prompt you to give. Give in a considered, thoughtful, systematic, regularly planned manner. 
That's the biblical way. That's what you do with grace giving. Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin who said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And you need to plan your giving. Be considerate. Left to whim and intuition, very few things in life get done and get done well. And it's the same in the Christian life and it's the same with giving. So, grace giving is costly, consecrated, complete, considered. Here's another thought. Grace giving is collective. Grace giving is collective. What do I mean by that? What are the motives? I want to return to this idea that giving to God's work is an expression of a sense of family and solidarity with the saints. We saw that especially when Paul is celebrating and bearing witness to the generosity of the Macedonians. And he wants us to know, you know what? They were begging us to take the collection. Look at verse 4. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. That's the gift for the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Now notice what he says. The gift. And here's another motive. And the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They didn't give in a detached manner. They gave out of a heart that was bursting for love for God's people. With a sense of ownership of the church and the importance of the church in the life of God's people. And although they were separated by miles and they were faces they had never seen and saints they had never met, they had such a love for the church, they had such a big view of God's kingdom, that the saints in Macedonia said, Paul, we're begging you, take the gift. Take the gift. And we want you to take the gift because it's a demonstration of the fellowship, the partnership, the koinonia, the oneness that we feel with the saints of God. So you and I, when we give, when we write a check, when we swipe our card, we drop something in the boxes on the way out, you must never see that as something that you're doing in isolation from others. In fact, your motive ought to be that this gift will bless others and support others and bring the gospel to others. We all cannot give the same, but we all must give. And we all must give out of a sense of solidarity with the saints of God. Giving is an individual act in a sense, but it's a corporate act also. And there's two little aspects to this I'll just drill down into quickly. It requires full participation. It is collective. It's by the saints, for the saints. By the saints, for the saints. And I want you to notice that everybody should be involved. Look at chapter 9 and verse 7 again, where Paul says this, So let each one of you... So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. Again, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, you get a similar thought. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside. That means mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, parents and children, young and old, those who have just come to faith and are new in the faith, and those who are many years along the path of discipleship and are mature in the faith. That means the married. That means the single. That means those who have much and those who have little. Let each of you purpose in his heart. Not grudgingly, not out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And there's another thing here. Not only is this universal obligation, this privilege of full participation. There's an aspect of reciprocity. There's this sense that we belong to each other. And you know what? At this moment in history, the believers, the Greek believers, the Gentile believers in Macedonia 
and Corinth are giving to the poor believers in Jerusalem, mostly Jewish. And there's this sense of unity. And the one part of the body is helping another part of the body. Not just locally, but globally. And Paul is saying, you know what, that's where we're at now. But I can envision a day. Just say the table's turned. And there comes a point where the Jewish believers get through this and the church in Jerusalem begins to prosper. And then the ill wind of change comes and something happens and the believers in Macedonia struggle in a future day. I'd like to believe that the tables can be turned. And someday the believers who are now being helped in Jerusalem from Macedonia will help the believers in Macedonia from Jerusalem. Paul actually argues that. I'll give you the verses. Verses 13 through 15. Notice what he says, chapter 8. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack or their need, and that someday, parenthesis, that their abundance may supply your lack, that there may be equality, the body looking after itself. Now, Christians across the world think about Christians across the world and give generously. And you know what? In God's providence, you'll find that when you invest in others, there's a sweetness that someday they just turn around and invest in you. And there's this reciprocity, there's this equality, there's this unity that marks the people of God. I was fascinated and struck to learn that stories emerged out of the Holocaust that those who survived in the Nazi death camps had an attitude of determined giving. Let me explain, as someone explained to me. Those who survived were more likely to be the kind of prisoner who, on the verge of starvation, still gave a crust of bread to a fellow prisoner, gave a sip of water to a fellow prisoner, gave a scrap of potato to a fellow prisoner. And as that unfolded, the person that did that was more likely psychologically and spiritually to survive because they were a giver. And often that giving also came back to them. A survivor of Treblinka described it this way, in our group, we shared everything. And the moment one of the group ate something without sharing it, we knew it was the beginning of the end for him. There's that thought of reciprocity. It's a principle in life and it's a principle of giving also. Okay, two more. Grace giving is commensurate. Grace giving is commensurate. This is again under the manner of grace giving. What do I mean by that? It's commensurate to your income. Now, here's something I want you to think about. In the New Testament, when it relates to giving, we move from percentage to proportion. Very important you get this. We move from percentage to to proportion. What do I mean by that? Well, when you go back to the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the Jewish believer, their giving was tithe-based. You know that. A tithe was one-tenth of their income. And it's interesting, when you go to Malachi chapter 3, they didn't just give one tithe, they give several tithes. That's why Malachi says, bring your tithes, plural, and offerings into the storehouse and see if God won't open the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing. In fact, commentators and New Testament scholars tell us that when you combine several of the tithes that we find in the New Testament, that on average, the Jewish believer on an annual basis gave 33% of their income. Now remember, they weren't just giving to the temple, but they were giving to the administration of the government, to kings, to the upkeep of the military. So in a sense, back in the Old Testament, it was a combination of what we would call kind of taxes to the government and giving to the Lord's work. That aside... 
The point I want you to realize that in the Old Testament, their giving was defined. Although beyond that, they could give free will offerings that would go beyond that. It's not like that was it. It could be more than it. But when we get to the New Testament, there is not a command anywhere in the New Testament that you and I need to tithe. Now, some would argue it's just assumed. And grace doesn't produce anything less than the law. You know, I can embrace that. I'm not saying you have to. June and I have always kind of operated on the basis that a tie is a good place to start. It's the floor rather than the ceiling, as Stephen Alford says. But the point is this. In the New Testament, it's freer than that. It's give according to as the Lord has prospered you or according to your ability. It's not a percentage. It's a proportion. God expects you to give a proportion of every wage packet to Him in the light of the cross, in the light of His goodness and mercy, in the light of His lavish love. Now, that's challenging. That's challenging. You ever get the impression from people that grace makes it easier? No, I think grace makes it more responsible and more responsive. And the point is, okay, I'm not going to give you a percentage, says God, but you're going to come up with that percentage in the light of my prospering you. Now, let me root it in the text to make an application. Look at chapter 8 and verse 3 concerning the Macedonians. And notice, they give according to their ability. Nothing there about a percentage, nothing there about a designated amount. They give according to their ability. In fact, they just didn't stop there. They give beyond their ability. They give when it didn't make sense. They give when the numbers didn't add up. Powerful. Generosity is the outcome. Generosity is the outcome. Whatever that amount is that you decide, it will always kind of work out to be generous not stingy, not calculating and miserly, because that's what happens here. I mean, the Macedonians give liberally out of their poverty, according to their ability. Similar thought, chapter 9, verse 5, where Paul expects that whatever the Corinthians are going to give is going to be a matter of generosity. So whatever the amount is, it will be a matter of generosity. Because that gift will be given in the light of God's generosity. And how can God's generosity not prompt our generosity? You're listening to Philip DeCourcy and a message about the powerful cycle of generosity here on Know the Truth. Our current series titled Total Grace is archived on our website at ktt.org. Online, you can also order messages on CD or call 888-644-8811. As Philip shared, grace is the central message of the gospel. It's by grace that we have been saved from sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ. But God's extravagant grace doesn't just cover our sins. Grace covers our lives and develops in us hearts of gratitude and generosity. Now, we hope you're grateful for the daily program we call Know the Truth. And perhaps you've been thinking about donating, but you haven't gotten around to it. Heed that prompting and don't delay. We need your gifts, large or small, to keep these broadcasts coming to you on the radio and the web. Make a generous one-time gift today or join our team of monthly partners. And when you give a gift of $25 or more, Philip DeCourcy wants to express his gratitude by sending you his newest book titled, Help, I'm Anxious. This book addresses worry with biblical solutions. Each chapter includes application questions for you to use in your private time or with your small group. 
Ask for Philip's book, Help, I'm Anxious, when you give $25 or more by calling 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. Or if you prefer to send a check, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you're new to Know the Truth, Philip would like to send you a welcome gift. It's a CD message titled Handling the Pressure, more biblical guidance for eliminating harmful stress and anxiety by focusing on God's power and presence. Request the free message online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. I'm Wayne Shepherd signing off for today, but come back tomorrow for more about the grace of giving. That's Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. of my life has been to stand shoulder to shoulder with WAVA listeners in Israel. This is WAVA's Dennis Williams. I love Israel. I want to invite you to join me in experiencing Israel. Or if you've been to Israel before, it's time to return. Join me on December 2nd through the 11th, 2019. We'll visit the amazing places you've read about in the Bible, including the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Garden Tomb. Find information today at WAVA.com, keyword Israel, or give me a call, 703-807-2211. When you listen every weekday to the Eric Metaxas Show, you'll hear from the people making news. Plus, we'll talk to some of the more surprising voices in contemporary Christian life. And did I mention fun? Yeah, I'm Eric Metaxas, and I'm trying to pioneer a new kind of talk radio. So join me every weekday for the Eric Metaxas Show. You'll never think about radio quite the same way again. Weekday afternoons at 2 on life-changing talk radio, AM 780 WAVA. Have you ever met someone? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.